Hello, Anthony Arkin. Maddie Blake, what's happening? How are you? I'm doing really well. Um, a lot on the docket tonight. We have an incredible email from a listener that I want to get to straight away as, as fast as we can because I think it's just so much fun and I encourage our audience to challenge us like this audience member did. Also, our film today is Stir of Echoes starring Kevin Bacon in 1999, Haunting. Uh, and I'm going to throw you a little curveball here, Tony. Since this is the first movie we've done in a while, at least, I think, that is a kind of a, I don't even know if we've done one, but it's certainly the first one in at least a couple of attempts uh, where it's kind of like a good old fashioned haunting ghost film. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and so I thought it'd be kind of fun to, I was listening back to some old episodes, walking Rocky, Rocky Balboa, <laughs> Tom Brady, Larry Bird, Blake. And um, I listened to one of our first episodes and I alluded to your ghost story that happened at a theater. And I think it would be really fun for you to tell that story today. So I think we can talk about mm -hmm. all that and then talk about Stir of Echoes and we've got ourselves a show. Uh, let's. It's a plan anyway. We'll see if that plan works. And I'll begin uh, part one of the plan. And that is describe my ghost experience. I, I, had a, I guess I had a little micro Stir of Echoes moment um, in that I, I did see what I, I guess was a ghost. I, I, I Where saw, were you? I, okay. I um, was doing a play. Uh, I was acting in a play down in D.C. Um, at the Ford Theater, which is uh, where Lincoln was assassinated. Uh, it's a very famous landmark theater. It's an amazing place. And when you work there as an actor, a lot of people from out of town come in to do shows there. So they assume you're not from around town and you get a tour of the theater. That's not just like your average safety tour. You get to go around the whole place and you get the history of the building. And on that tour, they make it very plain that it's haunted. That's it's haunted. Wow. They just tell you that there are ghosts there. And it's like, Oh, it's cute. <laughs> I bet there are. And theaters actually really do feel very like haunted places to me. I, I, I've, I felt that way about almost every theater I've been in, you know, with any history to it. Um, but this place definitely gives you those, those vibes. I'm, I'd not seen a ghost before. I'd never, you know, I was curious, but, uh, never been ghost hunting or anything. And, um, so we get this tour and it's in the back of our minds, the, the whole company. And we start the show. We're in, re we're in rehearsals. We, we do the put in tech rehearsal. We just, we're doing the show and in about the third day, I'm going to hold on. Hold on. The put in tech rehearsal. I've got to, I've got to hit your sounder now. Cause you just used a phrase. You also, well, that's not a cinema tour. term. That's a theater. That's a third. I don't care. It's a term. It's a term that I don't know. And I want an education. You're going to take your sounder. And you're going to take it and take it hard. <laughs> what? Oh God. Stop. Stop abusing your friend and co-host. And now it's time for Tony's cinema term of the day. <laughs> Put in tech rehearsal. Uh, what does that mean? Well, as, as like that's actually a misnomer. Put in a put in rehearsal implies that you are joining a cast late, and oh. you're the only actor, and they're doing a put in rehearsal. Meaning they're putting you in the show, but everybody else is already in the show. So that's a put in rehearsal. Got it. Um, but tech is just the uh, the word for the 
the part of the rehearsal at the end where you uh, run the show with all the lighting cues and special effects and um, you're not really acting the scenes. You're kind of just going through them mechanically and blocking where you are as an actor. And then mm. tech is really for the the designers and lighting mm -hmm. people to to get to really bear down on what they have to do. Fantastic. Thank it's you. I, I love not that terribly stuff. exciting, but. No, I think it is. To me, it is. To me, it is. I love it. I, I knew it. I think I knew what a tech rehearsal was, but I like to hear it explained. I didn't know those other terms. And I want to say this too, before we get to the ghost part, what a mm -hmm. cool experience, honestly, that you had to go to these different theaters in this wonderful country of ours, a place like Ford Theater where Lincoln was shot. I mean, to perform there, what an awesome thing, really. All kidding aside, it, it's it, amazing. It was tremendous. It was tremendous. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I mean that was a cool show. That was the that was the only play I ever did that ended up at Broadway, and that was the only my only Broadway moment, which was great. You know, um, really cool. What was it? What was the? It was a play show? called. It was a play called uh, "I'm Not Rappaport," um, and it's a it's a lovely play written by a guy named Herb Gardner, who wrote "A Thousand Clowns," which is a really another like famous play. But anyway, this play's been done a lot on Broadway. We we took it on tour as like another revival and. And um, it was it was really fun. We we did Miami, we did Jersey, wow. we did uh, DC, and then Broadway. But the ghost. So yes. is that what you do? You still do you still want to hear a ghost story? What was the ghost like? <laughs> <laughs> pain in the ass. Complete <laughs> pain in the ass. Uh, he wanted his own green room. <laughs> just constant He's vegan star tripping, name dropping, just horrible. Um. <laughs> So we started the run of the show. We're in our first week, I guess. And there is a little alleyway next to the theater where you can go out and take a smoke break if that's what you want to do. A lot of actors do that. And then I was doing that at the time. So I went out and had a smoke break with another actor. We're out there and we can hear the show in the wings going on, but we're not on stage. We're not going to be on until the next act. So we've got a little time, right? And it's at night. And it's chilly out and um, there's a little alleyway next to the, that runs a light alongside the theater, the side wall of the theater. It's kind of a shed almost where they have some equipment and then some like hoses coiled up, but it's more just like a, like a transverse. And there's, I think two or three electric lights hanging in that hallway in that, in that transverse. And you can see through the doors in it. And there's just like this tunnel alongside the theater. And, I was, you know, just kind of chatting with my friend and uh, looked over at in this direction and something caught my eye. It looked like uh, I thought at first that there was a person in there, uh, but something was odd. And I kind of like kind of, you know, squinted and it wasn't it was a shape of a person. It was a, literally that classic kind of thing you imagine when you think of a ghost of like a misty kind of grayish uh humanoid you know figure there was like a head with you could see the shoulders and the long figure but it it it, it there were no feet facial features or anything but clearly like the size of a of a man it looked like and um i guess this was 20 30 yards from where we were and what was weird is that it was kind of lit semi lit in that tunnel um and both uh, me and this other actor saw it. So I, I wasn't oh, the only person who saw it. Uh, we, okay. And we didn't, I didn't go, hey, did you see that ghost either? 
I saw I saw it. I looked at him and I saw that he saw something weird too. And we both oh. kind of looked at each other like, what what is that? So we didn't we didn't prompt each other. You know, being this the skeptical or or the the I don't know what the right word for it is. I like to check and try to verify what I'm seeing. So I looked to try to see what else it could have been because it, we looked and then it was gone so that the, it was like there and then it wasn't there. So it wasn't a foggy night. Those lights weren't creating a halo or a fog effect like in the, in that hallway. Um, we were that the other end of that hallway was closed off. So there was traffic about a block away that could have been, and it was at night, but headlights weren't shining through that tunnel. So there was nothing backlighting it to cause any kind of ghostly effects or that we could tell. Um, it, it was truly, it was truly odd. And, and, um, and we both got spooked and went back inside. I misunderstood. So where you were standing, you were you outside in between areas of the yeah. theater? We're like, okay. we're like in a little alcove uh, alleyway area outside, Pop. you know, right Got outside it. the theater doors in the Got back. It. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I missed that. Okay. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. So, okay. And then, so you saw the shape of this human figure. Um, yeah. This misty ghostly <sighs> outline, the figure of a, of a spirit of a thing like just uh, kind of stand like s- just hovering kind of it didn't seem legs at all so it's just kind of like upper, this misty form uh like, hovering in the middle of this area of this of this like transversal hallway by did the you walk over to where it had been to see get a closer yeah. look you know you did yeah wow. yeah i mean and when it went there. away we were both spooked and we, we both of us kind of like walked closer and looked down the hallway and didn't see anything and didn't see how, didn't see how any light play could have affect. Like we didn't see why we would have seen it. Like it it was strange. It wasn't like we could figure it out. So uh, not being, you know, scientists, of course, if we had been scientists, we probably could have discovered uh, that it was swamp gas. (laughs) That is such a great story. And, and, God, the fact that, yeah, two of you saw it, both of you saw it. Um, you might have seen yeah. the ghost of Abe Lincoln or of John Wilkes Booth or, I mean, you know, any number of people. But how how amazing. I love that story. I, I think mean, I saw the ghost of my career is what I like to think. The ghost of acting well, of future. It sure did disappear. <laughs> it did go away. So... Imagine if it turned to you on it. This is drilling down. You're like, oh, it's Maddie's ghost. <laughs> Damn it. It turned to me and it said, I I I've I've got some uh some clips. I'd I'd like an acting reel. Could you edit that for me? What are your rates? <laughs> uh, Which is I I, no, I, I hey, I'm kidding. I I love doing that, but no rush, no rush. I just need it by Wednesday for a legit audition. <laughs> um great, 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 great story. Uh I got a quick anecdote about the Ford Theater. I was watching a a clip someone sent me on YouTube. It was the 1950s show, like, what's Guess My Secret or What's My Secret? It, the setup of the show was three celebrities in the 50s. So it was, you know, Jackie Gleason and whomever were the celebrity panelists. And the person had a secret. The guest had a secret. And just by asking yes or no questions, you had to guess what their secret was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was called I Got a Secret. I don't know. Someone could Google it. But... Uh, long story short, it was an elderly man 
and they're asking him, is your secret related to this? Does it, da, da, da. And one said, is it related to politics? And he said, oh, yeah, kind of. And long story short, this man was at the Ford Theater the night Lincoln was assassinated. He was nine or 10 years old. Oh, my God. At that play, heard the shot, saw John Wilkes Booth jump onto the stage, run, and his and he said, now, so this show aired in the 50s where this man was the guest. And at the time, he was in his 90s. And he, yeah. he said, I remember my father saying to me, it's just part of the show. It's okay. This is part of the show. Assuming it was part of the play somehow. And um, I just thought it was stunning that- War- more maybe protecting him. Possibly, yes. I, John Wilkes Booth was a pretty famous actor at that point in those parts. So maybe he thought when he saw it was John Wilkes, I don't know. But I just thought it was stunning that a human being was alive long enough to be on television, on American television, who witnessed Lincoln get killed. That, That's how crazy. not long ago it was in a way. Yeah. You know that, what I mean? That, I love that kind of thing because I think it's something we don't do enough is realize how I'm really upset by the generational war that's supposedly happening right now, which I don't, I think is completely fake. I don't really think it's a thing. I just think that people like writing about this crap and no one's got anything better to do than to, you know, pretend that there's fights going on between boomers and Xers or, you know, I've, I've never, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's somewhere that's a thing. But what I love the idea of combating that idea is is stories like this, where you can think of someone that's actually lived and existed through these these periods of history. And it shows you that that's not that far away. You know, it's not really that far away. Um, And and if you do that, you extrapolate just a little bit further, you're back a few hundred years where Mm. all the superstitions that we talk about on this show were were completely in a like you know, thought about in a different way, not that long ago. We are still the same people. Not I think that that's ago. what this means. Like we're all the, we're all the same. And um, yep. I, I love that. I don't know about you, but I've never, I mean, I don't, I don't have an opinion about it. Like I haven't thought about this, you know, ghost phenomenon to the degree that I have a really strong opinion about what it is or, or how it works or what's going on. I mean, I've heard a lot of different theories, but I don't really totally buy that it's imprinted um, memories that we're seeing replayed like tapes. I think that may be part of this, but I don't think it doesn't feel like it's the whole thing to me. You nailed it. It only explains some. Like that makes a lot of sense to me in a place like Gettysburg, when people see these misty mm-hmm. images of soldiers marching, like that's some sort of endless loop that we're seeing because of the violence imprinted on that land. I I think that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. But you're right; it does not explain a lot of other encounters. And that yeah, it's, to, it's not a catch-all. There's no scientific peer review of these terms where it's like there's a board of parapsychologists who define these things and approve it. So it's like everybody kind of, there's different people will, will say different things. Um, speaking of scientific peer review, uh, I read an interesting book, which I feel is Ooh. kind of worth bringing up on the show. Just, it's not, it's not connected to ghosts and haunting. So it's a sidebar, but yes. have you read um, extraterrestrial by, I think his name is Avi Loeb. He's the uh, Harvard physicist who is claiming that uh, um, Oumuamua was not 
um, an asteroid or a comet. This is was, this is the guy we talked about just a few weeks ago. The Moore Moore story is back in the news because of this book. He was promoting this book. I haven't read it yet. You read it? <gasps> I read it. I Tell read me. It. And it's it's um it's fantastic. You gotta you gotta read it. I think it's essential reading. Like it it really is. Um, this you know if you if you heard about this on the news and and heard this this guy this Harvard professor Avi Loeb and he has this theory it. The media made it sound a little bit like he was a crackpot, like this was like, mm-hmm. oh, one of those one of those long haired professors who, you know, rolls around on the floor and smokes weed with his students or something. Not true. He's um, he's a not a Donald really, Sutherland movie you just described. That's like, yes, like his whole seven, his whole career in the 70s. Um, <laughs> he's got an incredible point that he's making in this book, and it it really needs to be read. Because it's not just about the case of uh, this object. It's it's also really he kind of takes to task a certain mentality in the scientific community that he feels is a t- terrible impediment to human growth, to scientific growth. And it's stodginess. It's an assumption that we have the answers. Um, it's It's a lack of interest in using scientific rigor to debunk things rather than um, rather than use the Sherlock Holmes idea that, you know, the solution that makes the most sense is the likely solution. He goes through a list of, uh, of reasons why Oumuamua was likely made by another race of people completely in another solar system in such a way so that it's clear it is by far the most likely um, and reasonable hypothesis. It's incredible. It's really remarkable. I urge anybody interested in that stuff to read it. It's, it's, um, it's, it's really something. Or you can just go back to our earlier episode when I broke it down and compared it to a a boat sail. Um, well, he, you know, but you did, that was funny, but I, and I know we've covered this before, but after having read the book, like this is the guy that invented, like came up, he, he led the team that started that whole thing. And you've already said this on the show. You're going to cut this out. You're nodding. Like we've covered this. I will not. I'm, I'm, I will not. You will not miss an opportunity to make me look like a blowhard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> if I had time this week, I had done a whole thing. I was pulling, I've pulled clips. I didn't have time. Cause I, I pulled clips of Tony out of context drops from our show. Oh no. That, I'm going to pull it out one of these weeks. Oh. oh yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. This has been a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's get to our email. The book one more time. Tony is called extraterrestrial by Avi Loeb. Excellent. I've got two to read now. All right. Let's get to our viewer mail. Okay, Tony, this comes from Johnny B. Hey, guys, like the show. I am a cinephile. I love your points of view. I I love your points. Oh, I love your points of view, period. Okay. You sometimes say your favorite or least favorite scene in the films that you talk about. I'm wondering, could you each pick your favorite scene of all paranormal movies? I'd love to know what you think. Mine comes from Close Encounters, the famous mashed potato scene. I think it shows his character interaction with his family and a man trying to hold on to his sanity. I'd love to hear what you guys think as your number one paranormal themed 
movie scene of all time. Whoa, that's a good one. And I encourage our audience to challenge us like this, Tony. That's a really good one. That fun? Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Johnny B. I'm excited. I'm excited. Do you have? Do you know what your answer I is? I do. I spent, I told you we got this email and I immediately started thinking, I'm surprised that, so the, the way I did it was, I said, I'm not going to give it tons of thought because when I give these type of questions thought, I, I overthink them. I said, the first three things that come to mind, I'm going to pick from those. And, and okay. surprisingly, they were kind of like modern, I, you know, and I love old things. I love close encounters and things like that. But I, the three choices that came to mind, I couldn't shake them, were all modern. And two of them come from the same director. But I did pick a number one. Uh, my number three was the scene in Arrival when they first get lifted up to the alien craft and enter the craft. And there's a scene where Jeremy Renner literally takes his gloved hand and runs it along the underside of the UFO. And they're just on this cherry picker, like a construction lifter. And you can actually hear it beeping. It's very mundane. And they're underneath this alien craft and he runs his fingers along the craft. And I was, I've rarely been that thrilled in a, in a movie. Now, where the movie goes and the rest of the movie, whatever. That whole sequence. And then there's a sequence, Tony, before that, where they're, they're on the back of the truck about to go up to the alien craft. And you can just hear the actors kind of breathing in their suits and she's nervous. This is just a masterfully done scene. So that's my number three. And then two and one are from the same director and they're basically the same scene. So it's really my number one. But the second one, the one I really wanted to pick, I'm sorry, this is confusing, has no dialogue. So we couldn't play the clip. And I wanted to play the clip since it's my number one favorite scene in Unbreakable, the breakfast table scene between Bruce Willis and his son when it's revealed that, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, Bruce Willis really was a superhero and he slides the newspaper to his son and the son realizes it. Oh my God, my dad really was this superhero. And the son immediately starts crying and he gives him the shh. That scene to me is just, it's everything. It's, it's paranormal because he's a superhero. Um, and it's, and it's it, the acting of the son and Bruce Willis. It's a father son thing like that scene. Just, you like that father son stuff. I know. Like, yeah, uh, it gets you. So yeah. since there's no dialogue in that scene, I went with what's basically the same scene in a lot of ways, but, um, it's it's the car scene, Haley Joel Osment and Tony Collette. And it's when it's proven basically that he has this ability and he talks about her late mother and she breaks down. And like even talking about it, I get emotional. I just think it's it's the best mix of paranormal and character work and performance that I can think of. Wow. She said you came to the place where they buried her. Asked her a question. She said, the answer is every day. What did you ask? <laughs> do, do I make her proud? No. Oh. <laughs> you know that's just it for me man that's it's 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 just it she's amazing in that movie Woo! too she tony collette's so good in that Woo! she's so good um but i don't like kids so you know no you're i can't you're, go, you're, can't go. you're dead inside no i like kids come on i love <laughs> kids jeez i'm i'm such a kid-friendly guy i really um, hope i hope your cat did not hear you just say that i know those are your children i am yeah i don't like them 
<laughs> no, I just like how did how um, did he get how does he how does M Night Shyamalan who granted has had some speed bumps along the way how does he get those performances from those kids I mean I mean in Unbreakable and in that film like wow those are just that's as good as it gets from any actor any he age. He, he really I, he really does know how to how to work with kids he really does I mean I think he probably you know studied the Spielberg handbook and you know studied mm. it, it you know Spielberg is kind of it's similar talent with kids. I mean, I think arguably more, even more masterful. If you look at ET and the kind of naturalism he gets from those kids, it's amazing. Yes. Um, yeah, those are great choices. Those Thanks, are really, buddy. really good. Interestingly, like uh, very dramatic, like what meaning uh, driven by acting and they're not like paranormal scenes. Really? They're, they're more like, human scenes well, that are you know the, i had an audible mention of of when another m night Shyamalan scene in signs when he sees the U, the alien for the first time on the video that's screen and moment. he reacts in the oh what a great moment and so real that's but a, I, I guess that's a spooky moment this this I'll, I'll tell you tony that list changed since we've started doing this podcast i bet because i've realized what what i really love in doing this podcast, it, there has to be a marriage between the two. I've, I've, I've discovered that about myself. It can't be just like really good portrayal of a ghost story. I need the character work too. Right before that scene that I chose as my number one, there's a wicked scary moment where a, a car crash victim is standing in front of the, the, their car. And he just he or she just died in the car crash ahead of them that, that they're stuck in traffic. And it's a wicked, scary, almost jump scare moment. It's ghosty, right. it's paranormal, it checks all the boxes. And then there's that, and it just takes it to level 11. Yeah. So, unlike you, I don't need, I don't need, uh, sentimentality. I don't need, uh, saccharine, um, maudlin, tear jerky, manipulative filmmaking to get me to enjoy <laughs> a film. You know, it's, uh, it's not a necessity. Uh, I think that just good old fashioned, you know, on point storytelling can be equally effective. But we, sh- we should have named this podcast The Odd Couple. <laughs> um, uh, so do you want to hear mine or are you are you quite? No, finished? we're good. We're good. This has been another edition of Red <laughs> <laughs> OK, uh, so uh, shall I shall I even bother? I want you to. I'm like on the edge of my seat, actually. I like you had a few minutes to think about this and, and, you know, uh, didn't know what to do. Cause I freak out whenever I'm like pressed to do this. I do make lists and try to be smart and, and I do it anyway, even though it makes me look foolish. I just can't stop. So, um, uh, what's the name of, uh, of this person who wrote to us, Johnny B. My number one comes from the same film that your number one does. So I'm going to save that for last. But uh, so my my three that I picked that I that I picked and this could change tomorrow, you know, like it really could. But right Absolutely. now, the ones I thought of were uh, the moment in the original 1953, I think, uh, version of The Thing that Howard Hawks produced and actually directed, I think. Um, there's a shot in that movie uh, where they fly to where they've heard there's been some kind of a crash. They don't know what crashed or what happened out in the middle of the Arctic. But this team of scientists fly out there in the freezing cold to the tundra and it's just an ice shelf and get out of their plane and they're walking towards where this object had crashed like a couple days before. The camera doesn't really show us what's happening, but it 
this long shot of the team of scientists just kind of wandering out onto the field. And slowly, as the shot goes on, it's about a minute or so long, they all just slowly kind of start to try to find the outline under the ice of what it is that's under there. And they make this circle. They make a, a UFO shaped, you know, circle in the, in the ice and talk about being able for me to go back to 70 years when they made that movie mm. and still feel the impact of, of that, of that moment. It's a classic sci-fi moment uh, in movie history. And it's so well, conceived it's so it's such a slow burn and it's uh it's it's really cool um so that's kind of a nostalgia pick for me i love that number two uh got a full-on go i mean i i think for me the section in poltergeist where she gets abducted that night uh, is the little girl the little girl yeah absolutely masterful terrifying great fun it's got all of it to me. I mean, that's that, that sequence and that movie really, but that sequence has like adult level fear involved and in like, there are some scary things in that film. Uh, it's for me today. They give me chills. And mm. also this childlike uh, thing combined with that, that makes for a really uneasy viewing. Cause don't forget the guy that directed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre directed Poltergeist, which is a movie for kids, supposedly. Insane. And it's not. And the mood that he strike that they strike in that in that sequence, I just completely blows me away every time. Love it. Love it. Number one. I'm glad you picked I'm glad Poltergeist is number two because I already felt you had one up to me by picking a black and white movie as your first choice. <laughs> I just want to be classier than Maddie. That's all I ask. Just intellectually, a little classier than Maddie. Intellectually one upping me. As long as I can just stay ahead. Like in the jungle, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> You're like, yeah, the 1955 Hawks film, Maddie. <laughs> Trying to be classy by naming a 50s <laughs> sci-fi movie. Yes. Um. So my final one would be uh, Close Encounters, also. Um, and it's, I think my, it, it's, it's not only my favorite scene, I guess, in a paranormal movie, but it may be my favorite scene in any movie ever. Wow. And it's early on in the film. It's not a big, fancy, effects-driven scene. It's like you, a talking scene. It's just actors. Uh, and it's the scene at air traffic control early on in the film, about 10, 15 minutes in. There is a incident uh, at air traffic control where they get a call in from a, from a pilot who's seeing something very strange that's not on radar. And slowly, as this, I don't know, it's about a three-minute scene goes on, it's very, everybody's very calm. And we're just at this one desk station at the air traffic control. And a guy is leaning in, you know, a technician, and he's talking on the headset with the, uh, with the, with the aircraft. And what's happening is so undeniably strange and mysterious to all the characters involved. But Spielberg makes this choice of having everything be so banal and so dry mm. and so underplayed, but you feel the tension underneath it. Uh, it's brilliant. It It's absolutely electric because it feels like exactly like what would happen. The traffic is approaching head on, ultra bright and really moving. And right by us right now. Now that was really close. Aries 31 is out of 340 on the traffic. Ask them if they want to report officially. 
517, do you want to report a UFO? Over? EWA 517, do you want to report a UFO? Over. Negative. We don't want to report. Aries 31, do you wish to report a UFO? Over. Negative. We want to report one of those either. Uh, Aries 31, do you wish to file a report of any kind? Over. I wouldn't know what kind of report to file, sir. Uh, Aries 31, uh, me neither. I'll try to track traffic to destination. Over. And it's so human. Wow. It's so how people yeah. deal with the with the uncanny because they have their guard up and they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to say, but I don't know. That scene to me just captures this quiet intensity and believability that I just love every time I see it. I love it. Well, you just gave me the chills even just describing it. It's a great choice. All three of your choices are, are phenomenal. Um and we have a movie to talk about right now that involves ghosts, paranormal, and a little kid actor. Yeah. Let's see if it uh, might squeak in. Do you think so, Tony? Uh, there's there's room on the shelf. There's plenty of room up there. I know that. We'll see right after this. You know Tony and I love hearing from you. Hello, Tony and Matty. This is Peter Stray here. And it's so easy to leave us a voicemail. I love your show so much. All you got to do is go to our homepage, anchor.fm slash rated paranormal. Hey, guys. I really like your podcast. Simply click the message button. I hope that that's a suggestion you'll consider. And just tell us what you think. Love what you guys are doing. I'm doing it right now. Isn't that meta? Anchor.fm slash rated paranormal. Chapstick. Jake, do you remember the other day when we were talking in the kitchen? I was looking for a babysitter, remember? And you said Samantha told you about Debbie. Mommy's asking you a question, bud. Is Samantha someone who talks to you sometimes, Jake? Can you remember any of the things that Don't you... ask the boy any more questions. Talk to me. After being hypnotized by his sister-in-law... A man begins seeing haunting visions of a girl's ghost, and a mystery begins to unfold around him, threatening him, his family, and perhaps his entire neighborhood. Tony, let's talk about stir of echoes. <laughs> um, can you, all right, so we get better at this every week we do it, I think. Uh, why don't you set the table and just give us the general plot? Let's put this house up on sticks so that we have a foundation on which to start talking. Walk us through the movie. Okay. Please. Okay. Uh, well, this is a, this is a, here's what I wrote. Want to hear what I wrote? I really, this do. is, this is, this is a film that's in the tradition of a lot of stories about this that you've seen before. And the tradition is as follows. Man suffers terrifying visions that torture him. Man learns he's being contacted by a ghost of a person who was wronged. Man avenges ghost. Man heals himself by healing ghost. Jump scare. <laughs> I, think you, I I venture to guess you may have spent more time on that than the actual screenwriter spent. On <laughs> we are not picking um, these movies to do this. We are we are picking them at random, and then I can we don't talk about them as we've said a million times, and I can just feel you watching it as I'm watching it. Like you're the ghost presence in the room because I'm just hearing your voice go, "Oh my god." Oh my God. And I'm laughing not at things that I would normally laugh at. I'm laughing because I know you'd be laughing at them. I don't know what to say. I, I, you know, I'd seen this before when it came out. I think I saw it in the theater. I missed it. And, and it, it was, 
you know, I don't know what happened. I forgot a lot of things. I think uh, time does weird things to a person. Yeah, it does. And I, for some reason, was like, I missed something. I think if I resaw this movie, maybe I was too young or maybe I was into something else at the time. Because I've heard other people kind of give this movie a good review and, and, and there are some people that really dig it. There are. I was, I... I in I had some problems. <laughs> I had some trouble. Mm-hmm. And um I really wanted to enjoy this and like it. Me too. And I wanted to and it has a lot of things that, you know, really sound great on paper. Yep. I I got no problem with this cast of people. Like people in this movie are great. I would see that movie. That's one of the reasons why I saw it cuz I'm yes. like Oh, Kevin Bacon in a scary movie. That would be interesting. Um, and then I watched it. You know, you see the who 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 directed it and wrote it. It's it's directed and written by David Kep, who is like a big time one of the biggest screenwriters in Hollywood. Huge deal. Writes for Spielberg. He wrote Jurassic Park. The man wrote Jurassic Park. Oddly, he's actually exactly the same size and shape as Michael Crichton is, which I find strange hmm. that the two of them hmm. wrote that movie. And then you go, David Kep doesn't like horror movies, does he? You're like, yeah, no, I don't think David Kep actually really likes horror movies. He doesn't really like horror movies, does he? Oh, no, he's interested in the mechanics of horror movies. And he wants to like analyze that and, and make a version of it. But he is so caught up with making this. There's a term for this kind of horror movie that they come up with lately. That really bothers me, which is, and it's called elevated horror. Yes. We're making an elevated horror movie. Mm -hmm. It's better than the other ones. Mm -hmm. It's about things. Mm -hmm. You know what? I don't, I'm going to swear for the first time. You, that is not okay. Horror is not ever gonna be okay it's it's for everybody it's not elevatable what's great about it is is primal and and messy and and i think the you know there there's such a thing as horror that that really does do great things with character and is deep like dramatic work that's true but elevated is such a fancy word for horror i don't buy it and i feel like that's what they were trying to do i feel like he was so much more interested in in the themes that he thinks the movie's about than with the horror and um i just uh i don't appreciate that somehow i don't i kind of felt a little bit like uh I wish a horror like a horror fan had directed this movie. Is that fair? One hundred thousand percent fair. <clears throat> and because there are good performances, there are great actors in this movie. Again, another example of I feel like people are trying to do things through the horror genre or through the paranormal scope. Uh who who it's not their wheelhouse. And so then they try to do other things, like for example, write comedy. We saw it. We saw it. Oh. Right. So there's a lot of comedy in this movie that just comes off just like the Bigfoot found footage film. It comes off mean. It just comes off like people yelling at each other and hating each other. Everyone's nasty. He tell. I wrote down some mm-hmm. clips. I'm going to have to do a lot of editing in this as far as swears, because like it's like a family scene. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to come say it. The Chicago accents are distracting what is it with what is it with the x everybody has to go crazy if they do a boston movie or chicago movie those two cities people actors feel like they have to go crazy on the accents it's it's embarrassing 
it so took me out of it. Um, and again, I, I, I delivered a line to Kevin Bacon in a movie. I think he's one of America's finest actors. He was very nice to me. But in this movie, the Chicago accent is just relentless. And it 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 sullies what is really a good performance and an interesting performance, which we'll get to later. What, what, what did you say just now? Nothing. That voice. L- let me hear that voice again. Come on. Come on. Say it again. Say it again. Tom. Do that again. Use that voice again. Come on, come on, Jake. Come on, come on. Use the voice again. Tom. Come on, make the voice again, Jake. I know you can do it. Come on, I want to hear it again. Tom, don't do what, that. What, how do you make it come back like that? Wait, it's all right. It's all right. Come on, Jake. I know you okay. can do it. Okay. Please. Let's go see what if you do the hey, hey, I'm talking to him. Hey, what's the matter with you? What do you think? Well, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to have a conversation with my kid. Or, or, or maybe you don't see her, huh? Is, is it you just hear her? Is that what it is? You, you just hear her, but you don't see her? Tom, stop it. See, I've been sitting here trying out. to figure out a way that I can make her come back, you know? I mean, I'm just thinking maybe if I just, if I hang hey, out I'm here long you. enough, you know, maybe she'll just come back. This or maybe you, you could talk it's to her. It's like I'm not even sitting here. Help me here. out here, buddy, please. Hey, come on. Hey, what's the problem here, Knock huh? it off. The, the accents are terrible. And he's telling his sister-in-law, like, I'll throw you through the window i'm like what the hell who talks to their sister-in-law like that like that's not playful and then his best friend is constantly at this guy who pops up through the movie he's wearing a white hat uh i guess for comic relief he's one of the neighborhood guys he reminded me of Vern. remember those comedy movies like Vern yes. goes to the army he, he kind of mm. had he's making wacky faces and and he's just like constantly verbally threatening him he's like i will fucking bury you i will slit your throat and i'm going like is this supposed to be? Com- it was I mean, definitely supposed to be comedy banter, and it wasn't. And so he's tr- Kevin Dunn. You mean what? W- Kevin Dunn is just like swearing at this guy and yeah. threatening this one and threatening this one, and and then there's exchanges between him and his wife that are nasty and vile, and they're supposed to be. So again, just like the Bigfoot movie, we're 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 character building here, but it's people that we all want to die or get run over or something they're just all horrible people yeah. it just comes off like that I, I i agree i really agree i i i feel like um you know for a very famous screenwriter um david kep has has written some great you know action popcorn action movies they're totally different than horror movies those that's mm. kind of writing and um they're they're there's a different kind of thing to write and i don't really think that what makes you a good action writer makes you a good horror writer or certainly director he's not he's not as accomplished director as he has writer this one uh i didn't really quite get until i realized what it was about the elevated part of it came into play and then i'm like oh oh they're trying to make a point about this community they're trying to make a point about how men treat women yep they're trying to make a point about this being a falsity or, or not as great a community as you think. And it became so obvious and heavy handed that every scene started kind of be pushed to say these things rather than to just be a scene Yeah, to the point where honestly, Maddie, I didn't need, I lost track of what was going on. Yes. Like the movie is so weirdly constructed. There's no, slow burn in the beginning you're dropped into the middle of the action you're trying to get to know these people it goes by really quick and then the middle of the movie comes and everything slows down and nothing happens for like 40 minutes yes. i'm like when yes. did so, is some yes the only thing that's happening is kevin bacon is complaining more and more and more about this thing that he's going through and i don't really know what that is he has a couple of visions and a weird thing happens admittedly 
But they overblow this to the point where there's a certain point in the movie. I'm wondering if we can pinpoint where it goes completely off the track and into a ravine. And I, I, I know where it is. Do you know where it, where is it? Where did it happen for you? I don't know. Is it the scene where he, um, where the kids voice the, the clip I asked you for? <laughs> no, All it's right. not because that I'll give them that. All that was cute. Horror right. attempt, whatever. Don't ask the boy any more questions. Talk to me. Where for me it goes off the rails is the, when the babysitter abducts the kid oh. and it becomes oh. an abduction movie. Okay, okay. She the, they hire a babysitter. So set the table. The Kevin Bacon gets hypnotized by his sister in law, who he hates presumably, and or whatever. He starts seeing visions of a ghost girl. The little boy, Kevin Bacon's little child, is also seeing visions, a la Sixth Sense, of this girl deceased girl in their house kevin bacon and his wife go out to i think a football game i don't know we don't really know i do where right I do. two blocks away everybody goes i don't know <laughs> is it a is it a cookout is it a high school is game it a theater piece? is it a football because the, the the neighborhoods the, is this, <laughs> there's no is there such, a smoker is there like a I, I don't know what's happening there's no such stadium in a local neighborhood like people are fighting <laughs> to get in like it's uh you know the immigration know. seat is being a Scarface. It's like they're getting, like they're getting a vaccine. <laughs> yes. Honestly, it's insane. I had a note to ask you if that's normal no, for sports. There's no stuff. sport. No, there's no sports thing that happens like that <laughs> ever. In- I was like, if Maddie would know about a community getting involved in a sports activity and what that would be like, Maddie would know that. I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know the first thing, and Maddie it's- would be like, "No, that's accurate." I didn't know what was happening. It's like someone who's never who like has never been to a sports thing or knows what it is, just like would invent that in their mind, right? Does everybody in the entire community walk through the streets in mass in Exodus to go see a local basketball and then game? All, is that what And it then all cram in like Altamont, the Rolling Stones, yeah. they're like they're yeah. getting someone's in danger of getting trampled yeah. at one point. It's like the what? police shouting what? and like moving <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> I didn't. Okay, I'm glad I wasn't oh, the only no. one. I was lost. And I was completely lost. Kevin Dunn, that character's talking to Kevin Bacon about his son's high school career. So I guess we're supposed to be going to a high school football game. Which, if there's a high school football game with an entrance policy like that, everyone in the town should be arrested. Do they have those indoors? That was like in an inside I don't know stadium. Where they were going. I don't know where they were going. So anyway, okay, so anyway, yeah. um, that happens while they're at that whatever they're going to. Who concert, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, they hire a babysitter. The babysitter has an interchange with Kevin Bacon's child in which the Kevin Bacon child says, I've been talking to your dead sister. Mm. And the babysitter then abducts the, the babysitter child. who we don't know. Right, we the know babysitter we, who we've never met. We know nothing about her. The babysitter she, has a freaking meltdown. Abducts the child <laughs> and runs it to a bus station where her mother works because she wants to what? I don't know. I don't know. It's so, but see, this this happens so quickly and so so out of nowhere that it, it plays like a kids in the hall sketch. It, it literally does. is like I don't know. It's like okay. he says something, she starts crying and freaking out, and she just grabs him and runs out of the house. Out of the house. Like, what? The and then, hell is and then going they get on? to the bus station, and like a cop gets involved, and he's suddenly like calling the shots like a beat cop, and he's like, "Hold on, you shut up again!" People telling each other to shut up because this babysitter's sister had gone missing six months ago or whatever and no one knows where she is and so she's got to and her reason to kidnap the child 
to kidnap the child, even under those conditions. She has to kidnap this baby to take him to talk to her mother, who works at the train station. I mean, I, 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 you, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say. I've never been that confused or shocked in a movie. Maybe that makes it a great film. The, the scene, the the scene is endemic of. I wrote this word down: motivations. The motivations of the character of this movie are so inconsistent, so unexplainable, so bizarre. They just don't make sense time and time again. It's just to get us to a scene that someone had envisioned. And would it, by any means necessary, we're going to get to the scene. And then that scene in particular, the bus stop station scene, turns into a little mini trial with this beat cop going, all right, hold on, hold on. Look at the picture. And he's like holding a trial, like a mock trial. Do you want to press yeah. charges at this point? I'm like, this wouldn't. It's like, it's like night court yes. at the scene of a crime. Somebody just tried to abduct a, a child yes. and they have to determine who's who's the actual parents. Right. But nobody asked to see ID nothing. or figure there's, it out. Nothing. The cop immediately says like, wait, her sister's missing. What do you know about that? <laughs> Let me see that picture it's incredible. in the Chicago accent. So then yeah. uh, I don't know, Tony. So listen, I'm not a filmmaker like you. I've I've been on the other hey, side. You're as much as a filmmaker as I am. That is not true. But I, I've I've. I've been on a couple things on the other side of the camera as a, you know, co-director and writer and stuff. I would never presume to say that I know what it is, but I know when I see it and it works, I, I, whatever that alchemy is, you guys have the ability to do. And, and you say that I know self-deprecatingly, but I've seen your work and they look like lived in spaces. They look like real human beings work there. And all I want to say about that bus scene, a perfect example, I don't know how a director makes a bus stop look like an actual bus stop where people are waiting, human beings are waiting for a bus. And what I saw in this movie, I don't, I don't, I don't know how they do that, but I know it when I see it and it looks good. And I know it when I see it and it looks just completely fake. Like last week when I talked about the cops that you could just tell those weren't cops and that wasn't a cop station. And you could tell that these, none of these people are waiting for a bus. None of them are real. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that alchemy is. Maybe you can help. Why does that, why does it look so fake? Well, I, I mean, there's a million reasons why that can happen. I mean, I, I, you know, I think in this case, I really think that this really famous screenwriter wrote a bad script here. Mm. I mean, I think he, I think he got nervous. I think he didn't know. I think he was like, I got to write a perfect horror movie that covers all the beats. So he covered all the beats and none of them really had enough connective tissue. And it wasn't, I don't think he's an accomplished director. He's not really an accomplished filmmaker. You know, he's only done a, he'd only done maybe one or two things before this mm. and hasn't made a ton of movies since. And his thing is writing. And I think communicating to actors, finding out, you know, like how to, you know, how do you know when a scene is, feels right? Mm. I mean, that's it, experience. I mean, it's, it's like, you just gotta maybe have done some acting to know, or, you know, some directing of theater to know, or, you know, trusting the actors more. Um, I also think that he was under probably Kep was under a lot of pressure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cause he's a well-known writer at this point, not a very well-known director is getting some favors from the studio because to let you direct a big movie with stars in it, with that's a names. big favor. Like yeah. the studio doesn't just do that. So again, I don't know what kind of studio interference there was on this. How many, how many reshoots or recuts I felt. It feels like there was, it feels like things were really confusing. I think this is a weirdly edited movie. It's badly edited, Maddie. I hate to say it. I mean, and this is a professional editor. It had to be, it, it's it's just it's inexperience from a director and interference from a studio. I really I think have, that's what it is. 
your spidey sense, your supernatural gift of sensing studio interference, uh, I had it actually on this one because I alluded to it a few seconds ago, the tone. There was a few scenes towards the end of the movie where Kevin Bacon kind of loses it and it becomes an almost dark comedy satire at, at times. And I go, oh, now now here he was on to something. Like if he had kept the whole movie in that direction, almost like the burbs with Tom Hanks mixed with, you know, an actual scary movie, you know, and I go, when I see that type of weird tone shift, like suddenly Kevin Bacon starts doing wacky, funny, dark comedy stuff. And the camera, like he puts on goggles because he's going to, he's digging for the body in his house is what's happening. And he gets mm-hmm. a huge cement yeah. pounder to to dig up the cement in the basement. He goes to the store and he rents uh, a jackhammer, like the biggest jackhammer. And there's a slide shot where it goes like, Little jackhammer, middle sized jackhammer. No, I need the big jackhammer. It's a it's a guess. Straight up comedy, straight up comedy, straight up satire. He puts on his goggles and kind of slaps them on the big eyes, and it kind of goes like push in on the goggles, and then he's screaming, ah, going nuts. But that's a guy that 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 thinks they know horror because he's going to riff on Evil Dead in the wrong movie. That's That's all there because Sam Raimi invented that kind of a joke in a horror movie. But that's a completely different kind of gag. And that, but well, here's the also, thing. Also, you're telling me a guy that does what he does for a living couldn't find a jackhammer from a friend? Like he's got to go to the jackhammer rental store, which I know they have yeah, them I mean, everywhere. All we get for 90 minutes up to that point is he's blue collar worker guy who cuts wire and he doesn't know how to get a <laughs> can't you know? get a friend with a, with a truck <laughs> to help him. But but that aside, he you make the point. Evil Dead's a great analogy. I was trying to think of kind of like wacky horror. Um, or, or gags within horror, well-done gags within well-done horror. This movie right. has none of that for 90 minutes, and all of a sudden it gets like kind of just right. shoved in our face, other than maybe a couple little attempts at jokes, like I said, with the mean-spirited stuff at the beginning. Mm-hmm. The movie just mm-hmm. suddenly shifts tone into an almost satire and then goes back to a very dark uh, sexual assault thing. So it's just when I see that level of tone shift, I think to myself hearing your voice in my head, somebody wanted to make a certain type of movie and things got in the way, be it studio, be it confusion with the script. I don't know, but I, I think at some point wow. someone said, we're going to make like an evil dead. And someone went, Oh, well, let's slap this in. Cause we're missing this. And it's I'll tell you, man, unpopular thing to say about a very powerful man in Hollywood, but he, um, he doesn't, he doesn't know what a horror movie is. I mean, if he did, he'd know that putting that joke, those Evil Dead jokes in in that kind of a movie doesn't even work. Yes. A Haunted House movie is all about mood and tone. Yes. It's just tone and mood and that's and believability. Like, you've got to have that or else you're not really going to go on the ride completely. And it's a ghost movie also about a sexual assault, not wacky zombies who are inexplicably climbing right. up, right? So exactly, to put exactly. those gags in that context out of nowhere, yeah. it's just... It centers around a very real murder oh and a very real, God. ugly thing. It's terrible. Which, which I will say is is poorly handled in the movie. It it, it feels like uh, it was like an... like it's, It feels like a second unit went off to shoot that scene. Yes. It doesn't really feel like it was directed by anybody. Um, I found that to be really strange and strange. And seconds before we're watching wacky Kevin Bacon going, ah, 
Mm. And then we have to watch this really disturbing, up-close POV, you know, I got to say it again, sexual yeah. assault. It's like, it's just not, it's just, ugh, ugh. Can you tell? I was... And then the whole end of the movie, yeah, the whole end of the movie is like, it, it, it's, okay, really? We're going to end a ghost, haunting ghost movie with a group of men wrestling and punching each other in a living room. I don't like, even, that's I, the I, climax of this movie. I, okay. Yes. It's just, it's like, you if you can't end your movie better than a Star Trek punch out, like a Shatner punch out, you've got to rethink it. Just please, for another half an hour. Here's here's another example of bad motivation. Explain this to me. The wife, Kevin Bacon's wife says, I'm going to come pick you up at the house. I'm going to beep the horn and come pick you up. Mm. He goes, yeah, 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 I got something going. Blah, blah. <laughs> and he hangs. <laughs> so as far as, as, now I just want to talk about character motivation. All mm-hmm. she knows is that he's home alone. And he says, I'm okay. I'm just busy. So as far as she knows, she's driving to the house to beep the horn and have him come out or come out and go with her. She gets to the house. He's being, she doesn't know this, but he's being attacked by two men. And when she beeps, the lights in the house kind of shut off one by one. She immediately grabs a knife out of her pocketbook and starts making her way into the house. And I go, what about lights turning off would make someone think, I got to I gotta get in there with my knife because my husband's shutting the lights off because I said I was going to pick him up. And then it gets worse because she gets in and supposedly she was so scared by the lights switching off that she grabs a freaking attack Rambo knife. Then she gets in the house and she sees the light is like unplugged. She goes, huh, hmm, and just kind of smiles and goes to plug it in. I'm like, well, we're, what, are we no longer scared? <laughs> like, I just, I just. It's sad. It's sad. You know, the lovely and talented Catherine Irby, who I just think is great. Yes. Like having to do, having to do things in this movie, you'll see her like play a scene so effortlessly and beautiful, She's, like beautifully. And then she'll have to be like, do a scene where, where she, she, like lights a match and then goes ouch like or or hears something over her shoulder and the way that they've shot it and the way they've directing her you it's like awkward it's like it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and you're like how does this not make sense mm-hmm. she's a good actor she's literally just like you know lighting putting a stove on i don't believe it i didn't believe that actually happened look man i figured out what the problem is okay you gotta believe this stuff is real you got to believe that this yes. stuff is happening on a yes. level to be afraid, to invest yourself in getting scared of it, even just at that yes. horror movie level. And yes. um, like if all that, you know, uh, uh, Friday the 13th does is shoot things in the real woods. So it feels real and you're it's kind of spooky and it's dark out because it's dark. It's giving you a little bit of reality that you're responding to. This feels like a, a part of Chicago that never existed. It feels like a, a street on a backlot set. This house that he lives in has is a set. It is the most set, beautifully done. Like it's it's vivid, it's artistic, but it is no place that you've ever seen looks like this. The first shot of the movie is the little kid talking to a ghost, oh. which is basically the camera. Okay, so he's talking to you in a bathtub. In the background, you see Kevin Bacon playing the guitar. Thinking about Footloose, no doubt. No, worse. Even more horrifying. The only horror moment of this movie is that that was a precursor to the Bacon Brothers. 
<laughs> that's the band that we never hear. That's the other story. I'd I rather ask watch later. the Bacon Brothers. Go ahead. Yeah. So the problem with the setup, right, is that if you know how a bathtub works in a house, you know that the side of the room that we're shooting in, <laughs> that the camera's in, isn't there because there has to be a camera there. Okay. So the first shot of the movie proves that you're on a set. Yes. You can't. Yes. It can't be a real place. You know subconsciously yes, that it's not a real place because then they actually turn around and you see the wall that you were actually used yes. to be inhabiting. That's yes. fine in a certain kind of movie, but in a movie where you're trying to establish reality, subconsciously, audience knows this isn't a real house. I'm not in a real place. Yes. And it wow. starts you off Great in the point. wrong direction. Okay. Let's, let's take this all the way to the end of the movie and say like your big final reveal, the big De Palma moment. Because there's a spooky, there's like an attack on ending that like surprise ending that a lot of movies had in that period. Thanks to, to Brian De Palma, who did it really well. And Carrie, 27 years later, we get them still doing it. They get a surprise ending. Guess what? It's the same thing that happens in the first shot of the movie. There's no surprise in the surprise ending. He talks to a ghost. <laughs> that's what happened in the earth shot. And so why did you bookend this with the same thing and no new information? No. And like <laughs> there was, you know, I, it's so good. You pointed that out. Cause I'm like, so was that kid staring at the wall? Oh, I see. He's supposed to be talking to an entity that we don't know. And then just in case you were a little confused <laughs> right before credits, the kid looks up into nowhere again and goes, is it hurt to be dead? <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you weren't and aware. I'm like, oh man, I got it. I got it. I got oh. it. <sighs> now, okay, I understand. The woman is in the wall. The ghost is in sure, the wall. Fine. So let's say that's true. Okay. And they're trying to evoke that. I'll go there. Uh, you put the wrong lens on this <laughs> because I cannot I cannot condone completely taking a reality out of your movie in the first shot. I guess I can't well, believe you do that. I yourself. feel like, you know, you can't rewrite the movie, but I, I feel like someone like you or, or, or someone very skilled would, would take those opportunities and the kid would say kind of non sequiturs or things that we leave us wondering, who is this child talking to? You wouldn't have him directly say, does it hurt to be dead? Like, oh, well, there goes any sort of mystery at all or any sort of intrigue or well, anything. Kubrick could do it in a look. Could do it without any dialogue. Thank you. Exactly. Thank so you. you don't need dialogue. Thank you. It's about mood and not trusting. Right. You're right. Like a kid. Like we get kid, it. The kid looking over Kevin Bacon's shoulder in a certain way with nothing there would have told us everything we need to know, and it would have been chilling. Right. And and right. It, it, you know just yeah. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, or just from Kevin Bacon's point of view of mm. the kid in the tub talking, talking to himself to some, would to have been <laughs> scarier <laughs> and realistic, at least yeah. somewhat real. But yeah. instead, he wants to go full like Italian giallo, full set and use the set and turn the camera around where it can't be. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't I'm, I'm now I'm lost. Uh, OK, let's listen. There is another point where we can't I don't I can't believe it's taken us this long. It's oh. it's got to happen. All right. What is going on with the secret group of, of <gasps> people who have the echoes in their minds? Okay, so out of nowhere, we get an African-American police officer who has the shine, apparently, is what we're led to believe. They meet at a graveyard, which, by the way... It's like Scatman Crothers' yes. cousin yes. stops by. Yes, yes, from The Shining. And 
the by the way, the mother and kid are going for a walk, as she said. We're going for a walk. Then where? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Where are they? How does that happen? I'll tell you. They end up in a graveyard. And then the kid goes, ooh, this place is awesome. Or this place is... I go, wait a second. It's got to be some within walking distance of their home, right? But he's never seen... They're in the country. New Orleans. They're in a country cemetery. A straight up New Orleans gravesite. Like they flew to New Orleans to shoot it, but it's supposed to be down the street in Chicago. It's got Around these... the corner yes. from their apartment. And he goes, mommy, this place is beautiful. Like he's never seen it before. And they happen upon a, a police officer uh, funeral and this African-American yeah. actor, great actor, again, again, another great actor put to waste, uh, has an exchange <laughs> with the child and says, you know, you got the shine and your dad's got the shine too, but you don't yeah. have it too. And the mom? mother's nervous. Like, who is this right. guy coming up to us right. and talking to us? And Which leads her to going to get more information from this officer. And Tony, I'll After let the you... officer says, hey, tell your husband to come visit me in the middle of the night, but you can't come. Well, of course, I'll take that card if I'm her, his wife. What so she, she takes the knife and goes into town in the bad part of Chicago, I assume, which is a yeah, state in Canada. Where hip hop music plays in the background for the first time. Urban, dangerous urban music, Maddie. It's bad news. And she gets to this big iron door. Conk, 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 does the lock. Does the knock rather, and he comes out in a dashiki, like he's dressed not as a cop anymore. No, and, and, there, there's no logic. This logic has broken down completely. It's like we've the movie's entered a black hole, and all physics and logic has just completely emptied out. And they're asking people to do th actors to do things that just don't make any sense. And Catherine Irby is standing there in the middle of the night doing a night shoot, banging on a door, probably going in her head like. My character would never ever come out here. I don't know why I'm here. Nothing's enough. Not enough has happened for me to risk going to talk to anybody, but Bingo. maybe a priest or a therapist Bingo. Bingo. about her husband's going a little crazy. So she meets this strange figure with psychic powers and she's convinced that something she doesn't even go to talk to her sister. Who's a psychic, like a psychic lady. The sister sets this so, whole thing in motion by hypnotizing them, and then every other time they talk to her, she's like, "I don't know what the f is going on." I don't, I don't know. know. It is. And she's, she's but I'm a professional, and and I love. Okay, again, I love Ileana Douglas. She's love incredible. her. She's fantastic. She's really good in this. She does what mm -hmm. she can with the writing, but when she's in control of that hypnosis session, it's really great. Yep, it's great. Now here we are in the middle of the night in an alley that the mom would never go to talking to this man and the door opens and he's like, Oh, hello. You came to the, to meet me. Where's your husband? I said, your husband had to come. And immediately somebody from behind is like, who the hell is that? Shut the door. This is a private. Nobody can know where. And like, what? Why? Who are these people? Are, what is are that meeting? Of, so, and so it opens up this whole can of worms. Like, what is this meeting? Who are these people? A whole group of people in Chicago who have psychic stir of echoes things happening to them. And they have information. And they're never heard from again. It's nope. never heard from again. Nope. Drops like a, like a hot potato. Just he done. provides the complete context for what the Kevin Bacon character right. is going in in three sentences and then he's done right. because he served his job, uh, no. right? I sent the boy's father. I said, tell him to come. He'd never do it. He'd kill me if he knew I was talking to you about this. He's so paranoid. What's the story, man? Close the door. So what they, I can't let you in. Who are they? 
Look, man, this ain't no freak show in here. Close the damn door. Look, you just gotta get out of here. My husband is losing his mind. I don't know why, but I think you do. He was hypnotized. Is that what started it? It comes and it goes. Some people have it for five seconds. Some their whole lives. He's a receiver now. Deliver information for no other reason than because he apparently knows what he's talking. So it's like, I got to get this. How do I explain to the audience that Kevin Bacon is only a, a, you know, he's got this ability, but he can't control it. Oh, I'll just have this character say it and then we won't see him again. Like, literally, that's what happens. Don't have to explain that to an audience anymore. Not at all. Nothing could be more obvious. We get it. We've seen The Exorcist. We know things. We get it. Well, and we're also seeing like red Klieg lights go off every time he sees someone walk into a scene. So we get that he's seeing some things. I I have to tell you something. Okay. I I, I made a movie called An Introduction to the Schnelling 3000. It's a short, very, very broad cartoonist short film. Ridiculous. Like completely silly. And there's a klaxon alarm that goes off in the film for a while. There's a joke in the movie. And that's the same sound effect I used for this. No, no, no. Same no. one. Literally no. No. the same joke effect that I was like, oh, that's the most ridiculous like alarm sound I've ever heard. Let's put this in a comedy. They saw this. They heard this clip and they put it like in the most serious moment where he's losing his mind. I was like, this is incredible. This it's is incredible. the equivalent of like, when cartoon characters would start running and you had the with their feet, it would <laughs> feet be like pattering. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Right. It would be like putting that yeah. in a scene where one of these characters ran away like, yeah. or the, right. or the Wilhelm okay. scream every yes. time a red yes. light went off, yes. you know, it's, it was, it was incredible. I mean, um, it's, uh... it, it just, it, it, it keeps on, you keep on thinking that it's going to gain traction again because Honestly, the first 15 minutes, there's problems. It's wonky, but I'm in, I'm invested. I'm like, okay, this is a little jakey, a little weird. Like, it's not, uh, why are they leaving the kid alone very happily in the middle of the night? Okay. Why don't we get to see what band he's playing in? Like, you know, he makes a big thing about being in this rock band, but you never, and then, and then he leaves to go to the band and then they cut to them going to a dinner party. It just doesn't make any much sense, but... <laughs> What happened to you know the that, that hypnosis that hypnosis session was pretty pretty spooky there's okay let's talk about some things we liked okay can we do that okay yeah or maybe maybe not i really liked yes a lot i liked the um when he goes into the dream world and Ileana douglas is narrating and she says you're in a movie theater that was smart i thought that was interesting mm-hmm. that was kind of like oh he's it's a bit hypnotizing to the audience. It's interesting, self-referentially, you're in a movie theater, you're watching a movie, the movie's hypnotizing you, it's kind of meta, it's kind of cool. That sequence was really pretty interesting. A couple of shots were great. Him floating through the air in that chair. Neat. When he, Very there's neat. just that one quick shot of him floating. Yep. Really cool. Um, creepy yep. dream stuff. They really did put a yep. needle through somebody's hand. That was a real the stunt person who they let, he let put shove a needle through his hand. You know, and I like I believe Catherine Irby and their relation. I like I believed them as a couple and I believed she's a mom. And I believed, you know, where we said, like, I don't know, like believers I would see again tonight, though. Like, I, I, w- yeah. I don't think I want to see this one again. Totally agreed. I'd watch the believers three more times before I'd watch this one more time. And and 
the performances are all good. It sounds weird to say that again, just like last week and other weeks when we've have when we have a bad good actors who are giving good performances with the material they have. It's just like, for example, Kevin Bacon has a monologue in the backyard where he says, "Oh my god!" Where he's like, "I won't give up! I won't give up!" And it's like childlike and weird and well they're also striving to hit these they're like they did this in the shining right. so so let's let him go crazy like in Bingo. the shining with, but with there's no you know there's nothing to it there's no reason right like right they set this and, up in the shining they don't set this up here tom why don't you come inside with me i want to talk to you you're not yourself right now this is just fucking typical now what do you want me to do maggie huh you want me to go inside and just uh Sit down on the couch in front of the TV and drink eight or nine beers until I fall asleep and maybe just repeat the whole thing again tomorrow and the day after 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 until 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 I I grab my chest and die. This is the most important thing that's ever happened to me. I mean, this is this is the most important thing that I have ever done in my whole life, in my whole stupid life. And you want me to just stop? No, no, I won't stop. I won't stop. I won't stop. Here's an example, Maddie. They go to this house party and we're going to meet this these neighbors and friends. And there's Kevin Dunn and he's his wife is with him. And there's a shot that's supposed to establish he's got a roving eye. Mm-hmm. That he like yes. likes the ladies or yes. something, right? Yes. So what yes. they decide to do is have a shot of a woman's chest taking up half the screen. Yep. You don't see yep. her face. You just nope. see her body and her boobs. And then in the in the back, you see Kevin Dunn like eyeing them and kind of like really cartoonishly like ogling them and like it stays on that shot forever. Like it, it is so gratuitous. You don't need to say this. And then the wife notices. And the funny thing is that the scene is about the wife and Kevin Dunn. Like it's so mishandled. And like then, so many things are. They they do it again on the way to the football game or who concert or whatever it is. Demolition Derby. I don't know where they're going. Well, we've got to establish because there's a story with Kevin Dunn. Like it turns out he's in, involved in something. And so this is if like if you look back at the movie, you'll see that he's got the same problems that his son has. You see women and it's yeah, handed yeah. down through generations. Yeah. And he's a bad guy and he's secretly a bad guy because he doesn't, you know, we get it is the thing it's like and you're forcing these actors to, to to like play out these after school special moments like to explain and moralize to us about stuff and there's nothing to moralize about zero like nothing this is a richard matheson story this was a book written by richard matheson who's one of the greatest horror writers of all time of all mm. time mm. and Maybe we should just start um, doing a book book paranormal book review podcast <laughs> No, they're good ones out there, man. Yeah, you know what? Well, this movie could have could have been so good. Think about like if who did I like Michael Shannon? Oh my god! Well, then let's team up Michael Shannon with uh, Jeff Nichols, who they often work together. Jeff Nichols is a matter of fact. We should do a Jeff Nichols Thanks. film next. Um, they did Shotgun Stories, Take Shelter. Imagine, imagine Take Shelter is a good oh, one to do. Those two together in this same movie with the same subject matter. Yeah, man. Well, in a way, Take Shelter is this yeah, movie. That's right. Like, Take Shelter is the good kind of like the good version. Yes, he of this. shows us a real place that actually exists, and that environment matters to the plot and to the story. 
where it's like this one. It's like, hey, Chicago neighborhood. Uh, Everybody cooks out and fights and drinks beers. There's nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) But they're not in Chicago and it doesn't really look real. And then just the way people talk to each other is just so heightened and everyone's doing a character. And like that, that scene towards the end when he kind of has his freak out and and that scene where they play it comedically when he's digging in the basement that we mentioned earlier it's like they took platoon if it was a vietnam movie and tried to throw in you know naked gun moments or something right tropic thunder Thunder, Thunder, better analogy yes because it's a (laughs) right it's a it's a send-up of a so it's like it it it's again we're in a situation tony where it's like the actors we 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 keep saying this, we keep qualifying, but it's true. Like these actors are great and they're talented, but they're just given tough situations that can come oh, off like bad acting. Yeah. It can come off like bad acting because the situations are not believable, not justified. Yeah. Fear is a creativity killer. Yes. And I can feel like David kept being afraid of, you know, that he's not making a, a movie that's going to appeal to everybody. Mm. I think they were afraid that this wasn't going to play to kids and adults. I think they were afraid that they were going to be too violent. So they pulled back. I think they were afraid, afraid, afraid. hundred percent. I'm really glad you just said that phrase. Cause it's one of my, it's my last point I'll make that I wrote in my notes and I wrote in huge capital letters dated. This movie has so many 1999 references and terms and, but it's so, it, it's like, um, uh, what was the movie with with uh, with Ethan Hawke, who you love, and uh, Winona Ryder? Uh, reality Bites. Uh, it was like par- reality right? bites. It's like dripping in style and '90s terms. Well, and- you can you can feel that studio influence, like Bingo. pushing the soundtrack and the costuming. That's being what like, I mean. We got to make these edgy people, so yes. like make them a rocker, like a rocker couple. Yes, well, rocker sure. couples play rock. Why don't we go see his band? Well, we don't. That's not in the script, but. He's in a Hot Topic shirt and he's got jewelry, so it's cool. Yes. And she obviously was in a yes. band too, because she wears like a like a yeah. like a cross, like a black cross and, and a half like shirt, black nail polish. Yeah. So she's cool, also. Yeah. You know, very like suburban white dad kind of people at the studios decide like we're gonna have some edgy edgy stuff in this movie though. It's gonna be edgy. Let's put some rock, like edgy hard rock in it. <laughs> so you get your garbage reference. Which yeah. they think is like edgy and hard. Which no, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I liked garbage, okay, but like at yeah. a at a at a wine bar, like you know, like yeah. their conception <laughs> of what like hard like street punk music yeah, would yeah, be yeah. or something. Yeah. And they always like the, that block party where they like it's like we you feel like they're like we didn't show the band. Well, maybe this is the band song, and they just start playing like a hard rock song. And there's a block party, and then. There's a montage about like, yeah, and it's like, it's just people drinking beer out of plastic cups. It's so freaking funny. And then the, like, you know, there's all these wicked dated terms. He's like, uh, oh, sorry, we were just smoking a fatty. And I'm like, (laughs) just be careful. Everybody's got to be careful of that. Really? You know, like how about punk? They seem to be like, they want them to be punk. Uh, um, they thought it was punk. He was wearing a they social. What they thought it was. Yeah, he's wearing a social D T-shirt at one yeah. time, but we didn't hear any social D. A brand new, yeah. brand new social. Yeah, D yeah, that came out of came out of. That was nice. <laughs> you could yeah. see the wardrobe person. The just, still smells. The wardrobe person <laughs> just steamed it. Out yeah, of the trailer. Yeah. 
the ink still smells on that shirt. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, yeah. And then there's yeah, a musical the whole, that whole rock part. Yeah. There's a musical component where he hears a song that he's trying to play. Gosh, why do I know? Oh, it's another why? moment. Go ahead. Why? Well, no, I have nothing. Because why? So apparently that song that, so Kevin Baker's trying to play a song on his guitar. The kid with the E, he's got the shine. He shows Kevin yeah. Bacon the correct chords that he's looking for. Right. Like, this means something. Close Encounters mm. rip off. Right. What? So Bacon starts playing it, and he goes, where do I know this song? Where do I know this song? And by the way, another little point, he sits and puts his headphones on. He's got this really, and he's trying to find the song. We get it. Like, we get what he's trying to do. And then he's saying out loud, how do I know this song? How do I know this song? Where's this darn song? We get it. You don't have to say it again. Yeah, you know, and then on. it's a cover version. It turns out to be, I think it was painted black by the Stones, but it's but yeah. it's a cover version done by like you know, bad. Well, they're all a, bad a, cover right. versions of Stones. A, a wine bar band, you know, like yeah. Um, and I was like, I take that back. Not all covers of Stones are bad, but like all covers of Stones in a movie because you can't afford the Stones you. are awful. By awful. a '90s unsigned alt rock band at the time, probably. Yeah, not even Magnum PI could actually get away with that. <laughs> They did try the same song. So I guess work. that song was playing um, when she was killed and sexually assaulted. And it, 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 okay, but okay, yeah. Does that? And you can't remember "Paint It Black." Is that what we're trying to say? <laughs> you were in a rock band. I'm most... sorry. None of this makes sense. None of it. Where is not what a is god that? What damn is, bit of it. What is that obscure song? <laughs> what is that riff? I don't know. That's mountain, isn't it? That's mountain. <laughs> There's a lady who's sure all the glitters is gold, and she's buying a stairway to what? Damn it! <laughs> Yeah, that that really confused me. I couldn't figure out why the song mattered, what it meant, why he needed to find out what it was. What it is completely lost. The larger point again is yes, like to what end that song happened to be playing, but it didn't. He didn't hear the song ago and then figure out that she was killed by using the song. Right? It it, it had no. no, It meant she didn't sing the song when she was before she died. Nothing. It was just like another way to show, I guess, that the kid had ESP or something, or I don't know, or a cool scene, which they showed us in the first shot. I don't. Again, I you must be terrified that we're not getting you moving. Why are you so scared that I don't understand your movie? If the kid knew, if the kid had ESP and knew the song, fine. But how do we know the kid knows how to play guitar? He literally puts Kevin Bacon's fingers on the right chords. How the how does how does the three year old know that? That's kind of spooky, though, isn't it? Mm. Don't know where that kid learned it. I'm going to end with this. Actually, I'm going to end with two things. It's a sad, sad day when you release your your movie the same year. You got a horror movie. You're going to write to make a horror movie. You're going to make a horror movie and put it out. 1999. Mm. And it's unfortunately you're beat to the punch by the Blair Witch Project, Audition, (sighs) Ravenous. And Sleepy Hollow. And you come in late to the game with this. Mm. I don't know what to say. If you're at the in the height of the movie where the characters are like, you know, breaking down and it's getting intense. And oh my God, what's going to happen? Like he's really at the edge. And there's a moment where um, after the reveal that uh, the worst reveal I've ever seen of somebody going, oh, by the way, your grandmother died. I know I'm psychic. Like the phone call literally happens two seconds later and she's like, hello. And he's like, oh, oh, hi, Richard. What's going on? How's grandma? She's dead. How did you know? Like it is. She what? Howlingly bad. Just bad. But after that, poor Catherine Irby just delivered these lines. She's going to go to the funeral because it's her grandmother. Right. 
and you go out to the backyard where Kevin Bacon's going crazy and he's digging a six foot trench to find a dead corpse and a ghost in his backyard. And he's lost his mind and it's really intense back there, but she's going to a funeral like six hours away. And she's like, you want to come? And he's like, no, I think I'm going to dig this trench. And she's like, okay. And you're like, take me with you to the funeral, <laughs> Catherine Irby. Can you take me to that? Because that's more interesting than staying here with Kevin Bacon right now. I literally, I was like, yes, take me to this. I would rather go to a funeral of someone 100%. I had I'd never met than stay here with in you this, for and, five, and, five more seconds. And watch him do what he was doing. Yes. I couldn't take it anymore. And anyone who's been married knows how, you know, that, like, you're, you're not going to go with her? Your wife who just lost it? Like, because you're digging the hole to look for the dead girl? It's just, it's just, it's just. No, because no, they had decided to imitate The Shining at that point. So he had to be completely crazy at that point oh my, for no reason. Oh, my God. Wow. <sighs> well, Tony. Um. We, I just, we have to do better. I think I figured out what. We collectively have to do better. Okay, so there's a pattern with this podcast. We we have runs, just like in sports. There's like runs of scoring points. We have some good films, and then we have like a run of bad ones, it seems like. Mm. So what we've done a couple times is I've listened back. We've hit a one or two clunkers in a row of a certain genre. And I've actually used the phrase like, let's cleanse our palate. And let's watch a good one in that genre. So do you want right. to try to pick one for next week that we know is a haunted movie? maybe a haunted house movie that we kind of know inherently is going to at least be better than this one. So it's got a shot to be in the shelf. Like I thought of, for example, when I was watching this movie, I haven't seen this movie since I was probably 10 years old. And I remember it being very scary. It might not be, which is kind of the good risk, but it had elements of the changeling, the George C. Scott haunted house mm -hmm. movie. Um, I wonder if you've seen that too recently to review it or if that's a good no. choice to try. I would go ahead. I would totally see that movie again. I would totally see it again. I remember it being, uh, I liked it uh, and I, and I haven't seen it in a while. So I would, I would see the change. Does that sure. work for you? Yeah. I think that's going to be a good, a good to try to, I think it's right. I like that. And, and not to say that we're going to do this every time yeah. with this podcast, a good one, bad one, but it, when it, when it has happened in the past, we've kind of inherently tried to strive for one that we kind of knew in our guts would be a little better than in this one. Cause then, you know, yeah. this is going to turn into us just crapping on movies and we don't want to do that. Well, I don't. And I was surprised because this, I mean, I, I picked Stir of Echoes because I'd actually heard it come up a couple of times in conversation or like in reading yes. online that people liked the movie. And, and, and I, you know, I, in, in all honesty, like thought I was going to have a fine time. I really did. So I, I'm, I'm surprised same, and I, same. Yeah, I, I honestly, we don't want to give the impression like this isn't a bashing movie podcast. It's fun when it happens. I know yeah. it's obviously entertaining, but I and I could talk about bad movies all day. But but that's not why we did this. You're frozen laughing right now in the funniest position I've, I've ever seen. Oh, you're completely you frozen. Yeah, you yeah. saw that. OK, you're good, good. All right. All right. So next week we'll do the changeling with George C. Scott. Unfortunately. Um, oh, that's the other thing I want to say too. You're right. Uh, the IMDb reviews, I, I was ex excited. People love, people actually love Stirring Echoes, which is weird. I um, know. Anyway, um, next week we will do The Changeling with George C. Scott to try to watch a, a, another version of a haunted house movie um, and see if we have better luck. Uh, Anthony, any, any okay. final thoughts? Uh, anything? Um, don't use the band Garbage as a cultural reference point in your movie. All right, and uh, my final thought is I've got tickets, Tony, to a uh, a game down the street 
everyone in the whole neighborhood's going, I don't know what's a playing, game, but we all get to crush in. It's either a game yeah. or it's... Yeah, and don't bring a weapon. It's maybe Midnight Mass or maybe it's... Chuck, get the gate for weapons. Everybody. All right. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this edition of Rated P for Paranormal. Please rate, review, and share. It really does make a difference. For more information, to participate, and even donate, go to our main page, anchor.fm slash ratedparanormal. On social media, we're at ratedparanormal. All music is by Andrew Goldens Jr. You can find him on Instagram at kidriga or go to therocketscience.bandcamp.com. This podcast was created, written, produced, and edited by Maddie Blake and Anthony Arkin. Is it hurt to be dead? I even need it is for something like this. <laughs>